Hello and welcome to episode 203 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend. Happy Hanukkah? Mm -hmm. Is it it Hanukkah time? Yeah, night two. We were recording this on Monday, second night of Hanukkah. One of the good nights, I say. Yeah, I mean... Can you rank the nights for us, please? Four is definitely the best. Okay. (laughs) What what happens on four? You party. Okay. Oh, okay. Do you party on two as well? Oh, yeah. No, no, it's, it's seven... It's eight nights of partying. <laughs> Party as a verb. Yes. Four is really good. I'm a big fan of six. I think two is a sleeper. One is probably the chillest. Seven is fine. Okay. <laughs> it's five. You really don't want to mess with night five of Hanukkah. You don't mess with five. And on eight, is it is eight a sleeve, believer, or a heave? Five is, five is a believe minus. Eight is a sleeve <laughs> minus. Uh, okay okay <laughs> it's the sad it's the saddest night because that's when the festival comes to a close fair enough well I, i'm glad that you were able to experience the festival of hanukkah and i've got to wait i gotta wait like five days before i get to go over to my mother-in-law's house and have some lasagna <laughs> traditional christmas lasagna i mean I, I i'm making it so i get to make what i want i want to make lasagna nice what are you garfield what are they gonna have like my my, my vegetarian like uh, roast thing from Gardein. Mm-hmm. Gardein, get at us, by the way. I eat your products. I'm making short rib. Who, who are you? Are you the godfather of Dave Harburger? I am. I'm the godfather of meats this episode. <laughs> Holiday meats. Now, isn't it true that short rib is what they used to call you in band practice? <laughs> yes, it's true. They call me the gnome, actually, if you must know. That hasn't changed much. All right, on this week's show, we are kicking off with a very important breakdown. It's a big podcast altering announcement breakdown. Huge news is coming in 2023. Do not skip it. It's exciting, but you're going to want to hear it to keep up with the latest and greatest dive down podcast. All the tea from the dive down. Yeah, some fresh tea is a brewing. But then we've got a dive down section, and we're diving into our 2022 year-end review, because this is actually our final episode of the year. So we're going to look back on the decks we loved, the cards we lost, and the sleeves we bought along the way. We're just having fun this week. Other than the life-altering announcement that's coming up in a couple of minutes, we're having fun after 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 that. So I, I've, I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah. It's always good. We have no notes. To be clear, we <laughs> usually have 20, 20 pages of notes for this episode. We only have seven or so, and most of them are just our names in bullet form on lists over and over again. <laughs> yep. So It's my favorite kind of notes. All coming off the dome here for the last episode of 2022. Yes, and, and as we're going off the dome, let's do the last housekeeping of 2022. No specific shout-outs this week, but there are more shout-outs to come in the future because I have a feeling people are going to sign up for our Patreon. Maybe before the end of this year, certainly at some point next year. And they can do that over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Get onto our Discord, get on our swag list. And it's probably the best way to support our show. Oh, most certainly. Keep the yeah. lights on, keeps our editor happy, the money that we've embezzled. I guess the, the most direct way would be like, Stanislav, I, I see you at the game store. Here's 20 bucks. You know, keep the podcast going. But that's much more harder to maintain than the Patreon. In that scenario, there's no technocrats taking a little 
getting their beaks wet on that money. That is just you giving Stan 20 bucks to buy a hot dog. One of those new Wagyu beef hot dogs that they have at the hardware store. For 20 bucks? <laughs> you aren't kidding. I mean, it's Japanese like beef. The, the Home Depot? Yeah, the Home Depot. Got the, they got the Wagyu now? The Home Depot hot dog stand has Wagyu beef in Chicago. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's a hot dog. It's, it is a real hot dog meta. That's right. All right. If the if, But if you do want to support us in the more indirect ways, and you do want to play Magic Online, you can use sign-up code THEDIVEDOWN10 on manatraders.com, the service we have used for four years-ish now, or longer if you're Dave Harbarger, and manatraders.com, sign-up code THEDIVEDOWN10 gets you 10% off your first two months of online rental service. We are also, of course, uh, brought to you by Barrister and Man. Barrister and Man is where we get lots of grooming products and soap products for you, your friends, your family, all those kind of things. If you use code the dive down 15, gets you 15% off your first order. And of course, you know that we've talked a lot about Nerd Rage Gaming this past year. We are a big fan of their series. We attended some of their series events. If you want to get some paper cards, over at Nerd Rage Gaming, you can use the code DIVE8 for 8% off of your order of cards there. So there it is. There's housekeeping. And with that, should we do this breakdown? This is a breakdown that I have been nervously anticipating since August, since I was recording on the side of a road in northern Wisconsin. <laughs> have we been hiding this from everybody for that long since August? That long. We've been hiding a, a big announcement. It's it's not too crazy. Don't worry. Be happy because in about two weeks, in early January, I, Stanislav, am moving from Chicago to England. A nation breathes a sigh of relief. I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> London, England. Although you're not going to moving to London. London. Now I'm moving to London. I I'm know. actually moving to Manchester in northern England. Hmm. Northern England Dive Down Nation members, get at us. Sponsor our podcast. Seriously, I look forward to meeting them. But it's true, I've been uh, working on this since August, basically. And it's it's actually funny to make this announcement today because today's the day my wife and I bought our plane tickets for the three of us to actually get over there. Mm. We're, we're flying through Paris, so that's going to be fun. Interesting. How long are you staying in Paris? Uh only an hour or so, and that's all the time I want to spend in Paris, one of my least favorite towns. What? I've never been. Come on. No, I don't like Paris. It's dirty. Oh, it's amazing. It's like Come New on. York City dirty. One of, you, you said, oh, wow. So you're, you're one of those people who's just like, oh, the city is dirty, therefore I don't like it. It's dirty, and the infrastructure is unmanageable because it's an onion. It was it was built before oh. they invented grids. Oh, okay. Onions, yeah. Unlike Manchester, I've heard that they're bad city, but pretty grid-like, yeah. I will say. Um, but yeah, no, this is not a bit. I'm moving to Manchester in January. I it's been a lifelong dream of of mine to move to Europe, and after working on it for some time, um, I got a job, and that's it. New life for Stan, incoming. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to correct you, but th that's not Europe anymore. Am I right? It's not the Union, but there's a lot <laughs> there of go. European countries that are not members of the Union. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. Well, this is this is exciting. This is this has been something that we have been very hyped for you about. Uh, it's going to be an awesome change for you and your family. Uh, very hyped for you, Stanislav. More importantly, however, what does this mean for us? Well, number one, it means I have no more friends in Chicago. I just want to be really clear <laughs> that Shane left four years ago. We are six years ago, maybe five years almost, my friend. Yeah. So Shane had been gone for a little bit, and then we started this podcast to stay connected. We brought Stan into this 
you know, Shane and Stan kind of started the show. And then I said, I'll be on it sometimes. And yeah. Then, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes turn into all And your wife is very happy. Yeah. It's great. That decision has turned out <laughs> to be great. But now, now, um, I, there's nobody left. There's nobody left. It's just me. Yeah. Dave, maybe, maybe it's time to look in the mirror and ask why everyone's leaving you. I've been asking myself that my entire life. I'm looking at the Dave in the mirror. He's saying I am very gray. <laughs> so, you know, astute listeners will probably recognize that the United States and England are in different time zones. Yes. And depending on where you are in the U.S., it's anywhere from five to eight hours ahead. Yep. So how are we going to manage time zones, you guys? Well, the truth is we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know. That's that's what I was that's what I was going to say is we have no definitive answers. Yeah, the definitive answer is I'm not quitting the show. Uh at least not voluntarily, and I don't think that's going to happen. Though I am going to take a break for like maybe as much as a month just to get settled and fully relocated. I forgot about that. Yeah. Your performance review is coming up when you come back too, so we'll we'll be talking about things there. See <laughs> See if you have to go on a plan or, or not, but good. yeah, I gotta go to that pip. My first raise in four years is coming, I'm sure. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. I heard the exchange rate's really good between dollars and pounds right now, though, so we should be flush when we move you over there. That's right. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna say what I think it will happen, right? And I, what I think will happen is more of a rotational elements. And when I mean rotation, I don't even really mean who's on the show that week. I think it kind of might be who's recording together, um, maybe working on sort of more independent segments or more regular guest segments where it's like, hey, Shane's going to do the breakdown this week and Stan and Dave are going to find some time to do the dive down. Or, you know, we have an interview with someone uh, that, that's topical, that's done you know, independently, and then two other people do something else. So I think it, it will be something where it's experimental. It is something we're going to try some new types of content potentially. Really what I think we all care about is doing stuff that one, we enjoy doing, and two, we think that you know the casual spikes out there in the Dive Down Nation will enjoy listening too. Can I just add a third thing to that list? Just to be honest, I think we all really care about doing something together, like yes. in some form or another, like coll continuing the collaboration as best we can. Yes. You know, I, I speaking for myself, done a lot of projects with a lot of people in my life. This has been one of the most fulfilling creative projects I've had in, in my life, you know, my career, career, like whatever. It's been an important part of a lot of different aspects of my life, but it's been great collaborating with the two of you on this. And I don't think that any of us want to lose that. We just have to evolve, right, to fit our lives into this crazy show that we've been doing for four years. Yeah, I, I think Shane put it really well, which is it'll it'll probably be a little bit experimental at first, and then we'll get into whatever the new groove is. And the show will go on in a slightly different version than what it is today. But I think it'll be more similar than it is different. Since you know, how much can you really innovate a Magic the Gathering podcast? Oh, Man, we have ideas. We, we talk about it almost every week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, most importantly, I don't think it's going to be something that people truly notice is drastically different. And it gives us a reason to try to do things that are potentially you know different or things that might have been we had no reason to do in the past and and now we will so i'm i'm looking forward to it i'm not looking forward to blowing up our schedule necessarily but i am looking forward to the opportunities that this this does provide all of us and really the opportunity provides you stan and your family to um i hope 
a better life. Yeah, I'm counting on it. I'm I'm looking forward to some stuff. I'm looking forward to saying words like quid and chippies, and I'm looking forward to driving on the wrong side of the road. Objectively, it is objectively the wrong side of the road. Just just so we're clear on that. It's, it's definitely it's definitely the it's less common than the right side of the road. That's right. How many months until you have a, a, an accent? Do you think? <laughs> I've been practicing. I've been practicing for 34 years, Dave. Hmm. Really? 34? I got a bit of an accent already, don't I? Mm, yeah, perfect. I'm, you just have to Paul say, is, is isn't it, at the end of things more often? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been talking with a lot of Mancunians, people from Manchester called Mancunians, and I will say, they have a unique accent. It sounds like they have a mouthful of marbles. I, it, it can be a little hard for me I'm to sure, understand. I'm sure the, your, your new neighbors are going to appreciate that, yeah. that concept. <laughs> it's my favorite rugby team, the Man- Mancunian marbles. They're amazing. <laughs> Well, Stanislav, best best of luck to you, yeah. more importantly than than us. Cheers, mates. All right, with all that out of the way, let's dive into our 2020 year-end review. 2022, was it a good year yeah. or was it an average year? How much money did you guys make this year? Let's start with capital gains. Mm. <laughs> recap of the year of magic, however, not not our year. Let's just recap other things. Netflix, who's got a Netflix yeah. list to share? <laughs> Man, Morbius. <laughs> uh, I can recommend Ep- Columbus or Columbo episodes, uh, season one, episodes one and two. Season Is that on Netflix three. Uh, no, it's on uh, Peacock. No, mm-hmm. Peacock. Yeah, I was watching it on Freevee for a while, and then we- Adrian was like. <laughs> We got Peacock now, and I was like, oh, cool. She went to bed one night, and I was like, I'm going to see what kind of content is on Peacock. Let's find something new to watch on Peacock. And I was looking through the homepage, and it was just like, oh, there's Columbo. I guess I'm watching Columbo now. <laughs> That's it. Dave, can we can we hipster cable that Peacock? Do you, are you full-on family accounts yet? It is uh, It is not our account, so I can't, oh, I can't really share it second you're already, generation. You're already sharing. It's pre-shared? Okay. Yeah. This is the best podcast we've ever done. This is actually the podcast I've always wanted to do. Like, if any change is coming next year, it's less magic, more stream talk. Well, last week we got some some noise in the Discord because we spent seven minutes talking about grocery stores in the western suburbs of Chicago. And I said, we're going to make the show shorter, but we're going to have more of the stuff that people really care about. And that's where to get the good frozen <laughs> foods in Oak Park or River Forest or uh, Galewood, depending. Right. All right. Well, let's... You know, I don't, I think last years we've done kind of like longer recaps of like things that happen in certain dates. And let's just hit the, the big things that happened this year. We lost, we lost Luris. It was that March of 2022. It was. We lost Yorian. So I would say that as long as we're going through the, a recap of magic of, in this year, the banning of Luris and Yorian were the biggest game changing events of the year. I would even say that they probably did more to impact quality of life and, and quality of games than any set or new cards did. I mean, certainly as far as modern goes, that's true. And in the case of Luris, it definitely affected Pioneer the same way. I mean, I had that on my list of my most exciting memory of the year um, in the sense that, yeah, it was great to see you guys and go to a big events a couple of times this year and meet members of the Dive Down Nation for the first time, having not really traveled for that before when we went to Dallas and we went to um, Atlanta recently, but seeing Yorian finally say bye-bye was hugely exciting for me. And interestingly, like, I think we kind of initially were like, you know, does this really affect kind of the four color control deck that was, you know, so prevalent and so popular. 
And I think after some early performances where the deck has hung around, I think it's slowly uh, become apparent that it doesn't have what it takes to still really hang. Kind of disagree. I mean, if you look at our energy breakdown from last week, the deck had a 65% win rate across the four or five pilots that took it to the event. Um, it's not as widely played, but the people who play it, the true heads, as they say, uh, they seem to be doing okay with it still. Yeah, I mean, but that's what really impacts the game, right? Is what people are playing, what we're seeing at the tables across from us, how that impacts the the meta, the matchups, what other people are bringing, how the games play out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I kind of still think that there's room to grow for that archetype. And we're seeing Respect the Cat do interesting things with Karuga. They actually made the finals of the Sunday Modern Challenge with four-color Karuga control. So... Mm. You know, there's still some devoted fans of, of the archetype demonstrating that Risen Reef plus Evoke Elementals plus Omnath is a deck. Yeah, and it's even better when you can draw five cards on turn seven. Exactly. But we can't do that anymore. The last thing I would say about this is Mark Rosewater's mechanics article came out today, his Storm Scale article for some reason, rating the mechanics from what arbitrary endpoints? It was like rating the mechanics of 2019 to, and 2020 and 2020. I don't know why that launched today. However, content baby. There was an art, there was a paragraph about what people thought about Companion, and he gave it a nine on the old Storm Scale because he felt like there wasn't much design space left. People hated it, and it caused gameplay warping things and he said i don't think he said I, I should have given it a 10 and guess what i think you should have given it a 10 don't ever go back to companions don't get rid of the other ones mark you wrote the you wrote the article you could have given it a 10 <laughs> as you wrote the sentence that you should have you should have just scrolled up yeah <laughs> backspace 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 one zero it's a little disheartening to hear that feedback from who, who I've been under the impression was the principal creative force behind the companions. Like I, I, I thought that he had come out in a previous article and said that he would. It was really his idea, and I think for a long time, when we were you know lamenting Luris's impact on the format, especially in those days, and how the common refrain was frequently like, "Are we really going to have to live with Luris forever?" It was always we should either ban Luris or print more companions, and if the principal designer who has introduced companions into the world is saying that he and the team can't come up with any more it's just like why did we do them in the first place if it was such a narrow space that you can't continue to innovate on yeah i mean look we've talked about companions a lot of times i think it's great to see mark mr rosewater kind of look back with a certain amount of objectivity and really think about what that idea did to the game at a certain point in time. I think what generally happens is he designs mechanics that he thinks are fun, right? The design team comes up with things that are really flavorful, thematic, that make sense to them in the world of that. I don't think the world building on Ikoria was particularly resonant. So, you know, why companions fit there? Not totally sure I'm buying it as much. However, he said that the, that, that the whole team together did kind of a bad job balancing them and that they later had a, we're surprised at how hard it was to fill in an entire cycle of them. And that's why they wouldn't go on to make more. Now you only have a certain amount of time to work on these sets. So if you ask like, why did it end up in there at all? Well, they probably ran out of time and budget to be able to continue to iterate on the ideas in the set. And eventually you have to ship it. So I think I don't really want to discount them too much for trying new things. I think it's great when they try new things. I don't think it should take two years for us to go. 
two, almost three years. Ikoria came out almost three years ago at this point for them to go, look, that turned out to be a pretty bad idea. We're probably never going to do it again. Just keep that in mind. Well, they're gone now, Dave. All right. That's enough about Companion Shane. Yeah. What's next on your mind as far as what made up 2022? Uh, I think the RCQs were like a huge uh, shift to people's approach and mindset and engagement with the game. I think that, you know, we had a, a lot of people uh, going for the RCQs and, and their local game stores. We had a number of people qualify from the Dive Down Nation. We attended the RC uh, in, uh, in Atlanta at the DreamHack, and that was interesting and fun. And I think overall, it's not what competitive magic used to be, but we know that that's not sustainable and it's not really possible to you know pay magic people as pros. But I do think it really engaged people in the game in a new competitive way or a new old competitive way and reinvigorated uh, paper play uh, in some way, shape and form. I think that's such a good point. I'm, I think for some people, this is their first taste of high-level competitive paper magic and for others who were playing before the pandemic it was a refreshing reminder of just how fun magic with stakes can be and i i know we even saw it like among our listeners and just the impact on the dive down the summer of the very first rcq season like people were so engaged and it was really exciting and it was a really exciting thing to be a part of and it was just a really welcome reminder of just some of the best parts, I think, of Magic, and, and especially the formats that we care about, which tend to skew more competitive than maybe, you know, people who are a little bit more casual and motivated primarily by just, like, their FNM scene, taking things to the next level and, and having a light at the end of the tunnel of your competitive ambitions and playing on bigger stages for bigger stakes, I think, is, is something that Magic offers that is, is why people think of it as one of the best games of all time. Yeah, I think they did a great job of reconceiving of a competitive structure that would allow people, like you said, to transition from that FNM-esque level play to a bigger tournament, to an even, even bigger stage from that, to the Pro Tour. You know, a way to reinvigorate local magic scenes by having RCQs, even if sometimes it just means a bunch of spikes or driving from a nearby town to come over and take over your store's RCQ. I think that that's something that people used to have a lot when we were doing, whether it was Pro Tour qualifiers or the PPTQ kind of thing that didn't quite work exactly the same way, but was still pretty fun. I mean, it's kind of cool to have these like satellite tournaments that feed into a bigger thing, kind of taken from the way that sometimes professional poker or tournament level poker works. I mean, the other thing I would say about this is that it really reinvigorated an entire format that we thought was dead. You know, and yeah. I know that we have mixed people on the show have mixed feelings about pioneers. As if you look at us as a group, <laughs> some people on the show, yeah, Shane, la last, yeah, last year on this year end wrap up, we were talking about how disappointed we were that it seemed like pioneer had been totally left for dead and there was no support for whether that was historic or alchemy or whatever. What's it called? <laughs> what's it called? Explorer now. On, mm -hmm. on arena it's great that we got some clarity on march 31st that a they cared about pioneer they were going to try to bring it back they're using it as their main level you know one of their main level competitive formats and that they had some kind of roadmap for bringing pioneer to arena well, however long that project's going to take i guess but you know our pioneer channel was dead on the discord and now people are always in there talking about it 
I, I will say, and I don't know if it's fair to draw a straight line from point A to point B, but I kind of feel like RCQ season in motivating me to actually spend more time Magic Online and honing very specific skills for paper competitive play was one of the principal reasons why I stopped playing Arena over the course of this year. And like, I will go months without turning on Arena and will only sometimes dust it off just to like do a new draft of whatever the latest set is just to see what that's like. But otherwise, some of the arena formats not matching up with what I can do in paper has made that platform much less appealing for me, I think, as a, as a player right now. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I haven't turned on arena in at least six months myself. And I, but I think that I'm definitely keeping an eye on it, on what cards are getting spoiled or when getting added by, um, you know, anthologies and all those kind of things. So I am ready for it to come back. When it more closely reflects Pioneer, I think I, I will be ready to be there to play it again, but not before. Yeah. Speaking of another thing that reinvigorated Paper Magic was a continuation of Nerd Rage Gaming's uh, series, the the opens, the qualifiers. Uh, I don't remember all of the, the nouns that they use for their series events, but trials. Trials. It was a strong year for Nerd Rage. We, you know, showdowns. Showdowns. We saw a lot of events. We covered uh, a ton of the events. You know, we 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 worked with them to be their, uh, you know, the official podcast of their series, so that we, you know, we were always going to cover their events and break down what was going on. And I think that was an awesome thing for people, primarily in the West Midwest. But I know that we had people from you know my area. Like I know Cora and some of her friends travel to a number of the nerd rage events, uh, you know, driving across the country. So these were things that people went to, like they wanted to be a part of the series and, and make a go for uh, making a name in this, this up and coming series. Yeah. I think, I feel like in a big way, nerd rage kind of helped absorb some of the attention and, and excitement people used to have for the SCG circuit. And we saw a form of SCG continue to live on post pandemic, but, the SCG tour does not exist anymore. The energy series does. And I think having coverage, having really talented players play at the highest stakes, even having like narratives that go along the year and across seasons and give you players to root for made the energy series sort of like the pinnacle of broadcasted paper magic of the year. And it being in the Midwest and so close to us, I think was, was a real gift for, for me at least this year. Yeah, that's something that actually I didn't put on the notes in the kind of our overall recap section, but you're right, Stan, in that, you know, the SCG series now is really kind of like a a touring convention of magic to celebrate magic, to meet with your friends, to go see artists, to participate in side events and drafts and do kind of what you want to do, engage in magic in that way. But yeah, the the, comp- the competitive edge of SCG uh, no longer exists in that sense. And so that's been an interesting shift too, where we've seen, you know, former competitive stalwarts like, you know, CFB is no longer doing basically anything, I think. And uh, SCG is now doing kind of the, the convention model. Uh, NRG is trying to, you know, continue on kind of the SCG model. And now we have the, the RCQ and, and RC model being sort of the, the higher end or the mo- most premier level of competitive magic we have around the country. 
Yeah, and then I think a couple other people have taken notice of what Energy has done this year, and I think they might be wading into it. Like we talked about some West Coast shop owners. I know that there's one in the Southeast in uh, Tennessee, I believe, that runs some tournaments as well. So, I, you know, hopefully we'll have a couple of other regional tournament series pop up that we could potentially cover, pay attention to in 2023. Anything else you, you, you all think about kind of this overall year of Magic? You know, Magic Online got transferred to Daybreak and a, and a pretty clean transfer. Uh, we've seen some potential benefits of that and, you know, a few bug issues, of course, along the way. But I think that I'm, I'm curious what Daybreak's going to do in 2023 and uh, in the future with improving Magic Online, improving the way we get Magic Online data, the way we can engage with, with that system as well. And I, I'm hopeful because Magic Online is kind of the, the primary way I do play Magic right now, besides trying to get to some paper events a few times a month. Yeah. Stan? Yeah. Do you have some memories of this year? What's your thought about this year? What's your what's your most favorite memory of the year, Stan? Let's just let's get into our best of. Let's get into our award ceremony. I'm just gonna cut to the chase. I'm gonna take us in to our best of 2022. And let's just start big. It kind of keeps on what, what what we've been talking about. What's your MTG experience of the year? And let's start with you, Stan, because Dave teed you up. For me, grinding RCQs was a blast. Even though I had varying results. Sometimes I'd scrub out early. Other times I would put up a real fight. Just, you know, driving to these random LGSs that I've never been in before in towns that I've never visited before in states that are, you know, north of Chicago, but south of the upper peninsula of Michigan, Green Bay, Hala. Um, that was that was really memorable. And I've never really done anything quite to that level pre-pandemic when I was playing paper events periodically. Um, and, and, you know, with that was also just like discovering what my deck is right now. And that was just like the love affair I've had with rhinos for the better part of year and a half. Yeah. I was going to say, remember some of the events early on that you did and you were like, I'm not loving Murktide. And we were chatting in discord and we were kind of like, why don't you go back to Rhinos? You seem to enjoy Crash Gate. And you were like, yeah, maybe I will. And then it was just like, from there, very deeply into it. It's, it's interesting with Rhinos, almost every paper event I do with Rhinos, I do very well in. And the one exception was, this was actually last year in 2021 when Shannon and I went to Vegas. I played Rhinos in that event. And I did not do as well with it. And that was actually kind of a turning point for me because that Vegas event in late 2021, early second half of 2021, was when I decided to get into coaching or, or you know, finding a coach for myself. And that was something I did this year. And and part of what made this year so memorable for me is learning how to keep improving as a player, thanks to some of the coaches that I've worked with. That, you know, I think some of the leaps and bounds that I've accomplished competitively would not have been possible if I didn't have the support of like people like Dom and, and Pi and and lately Archaeus, Dota, just elevating my play, improving my thinking constantly is helping me meet my MTG goals. So that's definitely been one of my favorite things. Yeah, I mean, the results speak for themselves. The results are there. And, you know, so it's, I, I honestly wish that we were able to play more together because I feel like I could pick up on and, and you know ask you kind of things that you're learning and and why you're making certain plays and things like that and so i definitely appreciate you know as well finding finding the love of rhinos has like been really important for me in my 
playing of modern and my engagement with modern and the fact that like it's a it's a good deck that I like playing and do well with is just like a nice combination of things where it's just like it's probably like people who just played Jund like until it wasn't very good anymore and just like you know a, a, something that they could just bring out of the deck box and enjoy and have fun with but also probably do pretty well for a long number of years and so that's I'm just gonna ride out you know rhinos for a while and until like you know maybe I just want to try something new but I'm, I'm there with you I, and broadly I think it was the, my, I guess, experience of the year was, I mean, probably, I guess, DreamHack Atlanta, but that's sort of like just a stand-in for the times that we got to hang out with each other and go try to do some uh, floor coverage and commentary on what was happening at uh, you know the paper events that were coming back this year. And just to be able to talk to you know people who listen to the podcast and meet people who you know, just came up to us and said, you know, yeah, I really like what you're doing. I, I listen to you guys all the time and really appreciate you. And it's like, oh man, like, you know, people do actually listen to this podcast and that's really fun to remember. It's, it's, it's been good to, to do that kind of stuff with you all. And also to, I think, you know, for all of us, I think to continue getting a little bit better at magic and getting a little bit better at, at keeping making the show. So that's really, I guess, a, a large way of saying it's just a, a combination of the entire year. It has been good. What about you, Dave? What did 2022 mean for you? I mean, we talked about my favorite moments. <laughs> cards honestly. getting banned. Yep. Cards getting banned. Luris and Yorian getting banned were very exciting. One of them hurt me because I loved playing it. The other one made me very happy because I hated playing against it. Um, you know, I was really excited that Pioneer re regained some relevance as it turned out. And so that's been fun. I mean, there's also been interesting things just with the show this year, like I talked about earlier going out and meeting people. I mean, Stan, you mentioned here in the notes that, you know, we had our, a preview card that was pretty cool that we got to yeah. do that at one point. Um, just all of that kind of stuff was, was interesting this year too. So it was a pretty good year for us overall, I yeah. think. Yeah, I'd say so. Next year, next year we'll do some stuff from, you know, the UK or Europe, you know, why not just fly over, go see Stanislav, find, find a Manchesterian recording studio. Mancunian. Mancunian. Maybe we can find the one where the Beatles first did together. No, they were in Liverpool. They were? No, if anything, we, we would have to record where like Joy Division and Oasis made their first albums. Oh, even better. Can we go to the Hacienda? <laughs> Creation Records? I'm into it. 24-hour party people. We could talk to the Buzzcocks. All right. Let's get to what people really care about. We're going to talk about arbitrary lists of cards yes. on this show. You know we Heck are. Yeah. So let's start off with a banger. What's the best card that came out in 2022? Let's all put our nominees in, and then maybe we can vote together and pick one together, consensus-wise, that is yes, the real card. Yes, because we got a lot of good cards, and, and I think we're primarily focused on modern, but there were no non-standard sets this year that impacted modern, so you could make some of these arguments for Pioneer and, and you know elsewhere, too. Stan, do you, do you just want to read our, our, our list of nominees and then we dither over them? Do you want to just go through them one at a time and give like give our pitches for them? Pitch. All pitch. Right. Pitch. All right. Unlicensed Hearst. Hearst, rather. Uh, unlicensed Hearst? So so like one of the one of the newspaper magnates? I mean, this is funny because it's a card that I was like, nah, I don't think so. Just seems okay. And now it's just everywhere. It's just one of the most important sideboard cards in modern and sideboard cards in Pioneer. Uh, Stan was right. Always listen to Stan. <laughs> Yeah. Here's the numbers, though. It's It appears as a two of in 29% of the decks in modern, according to Goldfish. That can't be right. Which I'm not always 
sure about that stat. It's in 39% of the decks in Pioneer, which I actually believe a little bit more, but only as a two of in each of those. The average copy is like 1.8 or something like that. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good card, Bront. Interesting that it's just a two of, since you pair it, I guess, with other graveyard hate periodically or just like other interaction in the for the decks where it's good, which is like in Pioneer, you played against Phoenix. In Modern, you played against Murktide or Living End, occasional other strategies. Next card, Ledger Shredder, also from Streets of New Capenna. Another card that we missed on the spoilers, or at least yeah. all of us missed this one, unlike one of only one of us getting a license search. But Ledger Shredder turned out to be an amazing card. Huge hype. It was a $1 rare, and then it became a $20 rare in like three hours. Remember that? The uh, aspiring spike bump. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, key card. Key card in Norbert decks. Huge, huge role player and just primary player in, in the formats. Leyline Binding. Stan, I feel like this is this is something we both love quite a bit. Oh yeah, just an instant all timer. I feel like something like Ledger Shredder or Unlicensed Hearst is is seasonal, right? We could find an environment where that's not necessarily like the two drop to play, but Leyline Binding being this one mana removal against everything and the non land basically just feels like it's one of the best interactive spells in modern, and it's going to take some crazy power creep to push that out of the format yeah i mean i've never seen a card that requires so much deck building around it for, for people to so quickly just be like yeah fine perfect i love it i mean that's modern though like this is this is not like a real deck building cost in modern necessarily in pioneer on the other hand it doesn't appear in the top 50 cards on goldfish according according to them and overall cards played so it's interesting that it's in Close to 20% of decks in Modern, 17% of decks in Modern, and not in the top 50 in Pioneer. But at least this was a card that we all were like, this card's probably going to be good. I think all Magic players saw that this card was going to be good. And the proof is in the pudding. Mm, hopefully. Maybe. How about a card that not many people saw was going to be good coming off the spoiler? And that is Fable of the Mirror Breaker from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. 30% of the decks in Pioneer, 16% of the decks in Modern. On average, it's almost a four of in the decks that it's played. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, make two creatures, discard two, draw two, other cool things. You know, Fable and, and Ledger Shredder, I actually think are kind of similar in a way, in that they have proven to be this really flexible, powerful glue support system that just ties the room together for so many decks in so many formats. Yeah. And they're both like kind of innocuous, but then once they're in play, you sort of see that their their presence is immediately felt and how powerful the their effect are and like how they basically demand answers all the time. All right, up next, let's talk about both of the good channel lands, and that's Boseju Who Endures and Ottawara Soaring City. These are just extremely popular across modern. I'm I think also in some pioneer decks as well. You know, Boseju is just so cost-efficient. Ottawara, not quite as efficient, but just super flexible for getting you out of jams. They are as good as people expected them to be. They didn't, I think, blow up the format quite as much as people expected, but Boseju is a, a real weapon in the meta, and, and Ottawara is as well. I do think Boseju did a lot to like tamp down stuff like yeah. Charbelcher or other other decks that rely on like one piece of artifact that you just can't have interaction for that suddenly you can use over and over again with run and six or just run main without worrying too much about the downside um 
And then Odawara is kind of a little bit of like the Brazen Borrower effect, where it's like, how good is a bounce, random bounce effect in your deck? Well, it's pretty good, and this one only costs you a land. Yeah, I, I would actually put these cards almost in the same class as Leyline Binding, just because they're powerful spells attached to lands that are flexible to run, especially in modern, where you can play more colors without being punished, that I see these cards sort of like sticking around for a while until they print better lands that, you know, take up their slot. But it's hard to imagine like how you can print better lands that are as useful and interactive unless you can add like a land type to it so you can fetch for them too and send them to your hand or something. Oh my God. The worst of all possible <laughs> options. Yeah. Dave, you have one more nominee. I do have one more and it's very specific. It's Shieldra the Apocalypse from Dominaria United. Too slow for modern, obviously. Did not get there, but it's in 20% of the decks in Pioneer and it re replaced a longtime staple in Kalidas. It's a pretty good card. It definitely freaked a lot of people out when it first came out. And I think it's a, uh, a pretty emblematic card of the type of things that happened this year in, in Magic, at least. And it kind of reasserted the viability and interest of Red Black Midrange in Pioneer. And also gave us one of the best uh, Twitter threads there has ever been on Magic, yes. by the way. All right, so let's cut to the chase. What's our card of the year? Do we have, do we have an agreed-upon final card we did not we did not dither over this in our notes we were going to do it live dave what's your nominee mm -hmm. I mean, what's what's your final choice or what what would you like to propose for um, card of the year i think if we're going to come together on something i th i think that fable of the mirror breaker has the most broad appeal I see that it's stands pick as well and i am okay with us saying that objectively that would be the card yeah my only other argument would be for like Boseju, mm. um, simply because of the the vast utility it presents. But yeah, I think Fable is, I think Fable is a combination of all the factors that would go into a good card to choose for this. Right? It's it's interesting, it's widely useful. It has a five dollar token. It's it's got all the good stuff. It's it lets you lets you do novel things. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a rad card. I think it's a perfectly good pick. I, I also love that it just took so many people, ourselves included by surprise, you know, calling Leyline or Boseju the card of the year is the safe pick, but sort of acknowledging that, that fable was a sleeper hit that has been become so important for a lot of strategies. And you sort of just like see it as like this catch all three drop that you can put into a deck. If you need to fill out that spot on the curve, or if you need to like, meet Karuga or Cascade restrictions. Fable sort of just like is a useful tool that you get to consider and surprise it actually sees modern play is, is, you know, I think it adds to its personality more than anything. Absolutely. People have been asking for this card to get banned from Pioneer because they feel like it's so powerful in the format. I've seen people chatting about it. It's crazy, I think, to say that. But um, I do think it's the best card of the year. There it is. Fable of the Mirror Can Breaker. we talk about just our personal favorite cards then? We, we don't need to go into all the, the dithering. Stan, what's your favorite card of the year? What's your favorite card to, to cast and play with? Oh, that's Leyline Binding. You, you always feel good drawing a Leyline Binding. At least I do. I always, you always find a home for Leyline Binding. If you need to hit an early Ragavan, fine. You, you, know, you don't lose mana. If you need to like deal with a Dryad or 
a primeval titan or an emery. You can even hit Teferi. You know, you can get to four mana, deal with Teferi, and then cascade. It's so much easier than like waiting to get to five and doing a brazen borrow shenanigans. Just laying them binding makes me want to only ever play soupy four color, four or five color decks forever. Is it fair to say that you were a leyline skeptic during spoiler time? I remember when we were talking about, hey, it's going to go into rhinos, and you were like, why would I yeah. put this into rhinos? Why would I ever want rhinos I was skeptical. to have this? I absolutely was yeah. skeptical. And I think part of that was because at the time, I really believed in rhinos being a Blood Moon deck and, and having that angle. And losing Blood Moon has been a big loss for rhinos for me, frankly. But what I didn't really measure at the time was what adding Leyline would do for the deck. And it's like, you took a step back, but you actually got to take two steps forward too. Yeah, it's it's just something that you have to sacrifice. You, you sacrifice sort of the, the free wins or the cheese wins, and you just get better interactive tools. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would agree. Leyline Binding is my, my favorite card to play. It's just it's just so flexible, so useful. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine contorting my deck to allow me to cast it, give me the opportunity to cast it. Well, I'm going to go a different way here. My favorite card, I think, to play this year has been Ledger Shredder. Yeah, very Dave color. I love it. It's a blue flying bird replacing Stormwing Frenemy in my heart and on the battlefield. It rewards casting spells in the immortal words of the other bird lawyer I know. I'll take the case. (laughs) Right on. Well, 2022 also... Just the, the changes to the format, the decks that people created, the the additions of new sets made some old cards a lot better. So let's talk about some cards from before 2022 that got a lot better this year. And I'll go through my nominees were Feign Death and Grief, because I don't think Grief would be mentioned in like, hey, this is a very good modern card. And I think this is Grief's year mm-hmm. to shine and say, hey, uh, everything you feared still exists. Uh, I'm still here. And Fane Death was its partner in crime in, in making a legitimate deck. Indomitable Creativity, a card from, is Aether Revolt? Yeah. It's from Aether Revolt. A card Revolt, that yeah. people just slept on for years until it you know, had a big breakout this season. Uh, and then also Underworld Breach, a card that I feel was you know, largely slept on in Modern, and this year has made appearances in Prowess-style decks, in Grinding Breach combo, probably other places that I'm forgetting. But you know, it, this is a card that has been waiting to be broken since its release, and I think we're we're getting to the point where we're sort of there. Someone won a challenge this weekend with Underworld Breach in their Murktide deck. Yeah, why not? Murktide Breach. Value, baby. Put it into my veins. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Buy your kind of a nonbo with Murktide itself, right? Like, yeah. do you use it to grow the Murktide after you get the dragon down? Sure. Why not? You can have why giant not both? Ones. Yeah, why not both? Value engine late game also. Hey, cr- cranial plating and Archon Ravager weren't best friends, but they were in the same great deck. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's a correct thing to do i just think that it's like everybody woke up in the last couple of months and was like oh we can play breach number one grinding breach is good so we're gonna play that a lot and then by the way wow this underworld breach card is just really powerful what if we did it in other red decks that have spells 
We, we should. You know what, guys? Let's do it. Let's breach everything. Breach it. Uh, the other cards that I had on my list, Graveyard Trespasser. Mm. Mm. Um, Storm the Festival, which is a card that came out at the end of last year. So that's... um. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the pioneer guy on this podcast as well with it, with my my no, suggestions. It's good to have some perspective. And then, uh, you know, Shane said feign death. Why not Undying Malice? Shane, <laughs> also not from yeah. this year. Also in that deck. Also Fine. the same card. I, to me, this is just proof that any one CMC card that there's eight of will eventually be a staple. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. If there's eight of them and it's one CMC, we're playing it. Am I right? Why not? Thanks electrostatic get at me so yeah i mean on that note i present to you guys for consideration malakir rebirth yeah sure that one sucks, yeah i guess though. so we don't talk about that, that 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 card doesn't even get played anymore um hilarious jokes aside i actually think one of the best cards or one of the cards that saw the most improvement this year is spell pierce yeah this is like the, the best it's ever been that i can recall you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I've been playing blue hmm. control index for so long. And it was like, it was never really that good in blue white control. It was never really that great, even in like blue moon decks. But this low to the ground, like blue red tempo strategies, and, and sometimes even like other blue controlling decks in the world of, of Ren and Sixes and Teferis and even Leyline Bindings, where everyone's just trying to do as much as possible on as little with as little mana as possible, made like Spell Pierce one of the strongest one-man interaction spells in the format. I think it's true. Yeah, I think it's... it's Some of it's about the increasing mana efficiency of modern. But I, there's been lots of times when Spell Pierce was fine and was a, a happy part of your your suite, right? Your counter suite and mm -hmm. sideboard. This is one of the first times that I remember it being like, sure, I'm blue-red control or tempo, whatever. I'm blue-red spells and counter spells. I'm going to play three Spell Pierce main, in Murktide and just be happy with that, you know, like that, I, that hasn't happened too many other times in modern. Yeah. Here's a couple other cards that I don't think anyone was talking about before this year. Orvar, the all form from Kaldheim as just like a yeah. surprisingly useful, not a central, but, but still fun and, and good sideboard plan against Archon of Cruelty, especially. And then, and then my last mention for this category, Scion of Draco, which saw a brief spike. Now I, you know, like when Leyline Binding was printed and everyone was playing these five color decks that had Wooburg on turn two, Scion of Draco seemed like a nice cheap two mana four four flyer that had some other upside that was almost never actually relevant. But it's still seeing play in these five color zoo decks that people are registering and even though it didn't really stick around in Rhinos, I think the pairing of Leyline Binding plus Scion could be a package that people will continue to experiment with for as long as Leyline is good, ultimately. All right, so what's our pick? The best pre-2022 card that is suddenly great? Uh, I think, man, this is tough for me. I feel like it's either... to me, For me, it's either between Indomitable Creativity... Underworld Breach and Grief. Mm. So all your nominees. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think I feel like I feel like if you if you all had done this list before I got my notes in, I, I 
then you would have made those I, I don't picks. think Grief makes the cut. I think Grief was good out of the gate. I, I think everyone knew that like the turn one Grief scam plan was going to be good. It just took us a while to figure out whether it was an ephemerate deck or something else. And it just turned out to be something else. And that's fine. But like... Okay, I'm, 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 I'm fine with that. I mean, in, in Down All Creativity, basically saw like no play until this year. So I think that's a stronger... So th- that's the other mm. thing, like... Yeah. Well, 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 wait, well, we had Zach on and we had, we talked about Indomitable Creativity for a while and his lists go all the way back to at least early last yeah. year. Well, I mean, so Underworld reaches also into early, I mean, into 2021 as well, if you want to be really yes, but, strict but, about it. But I feel like... Right. But that, here's why I like Breach of those three the most is because this was the year that everyone kind of woke up and was like, this card is insanely good. And why haven't we been playing more of it this whole time? Yeah. Yeah, and and also it got the pieces around it to create grinding breach to be like a legitimate deck, mm-hmm. I think as well. So, well, what was the piece it got this year? Ledger then? Shredder. Oh, you're right. Well, it got like Ledger, Ledger Shredder. Shredder. Yeah, Ledger Shredder. That's the big piece. Yes. Yeah. So I I actually my vote in this bucket is pretty strongly towards Underworld Breach, for what it's worth. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right. Best Underworld Breach. You got you got our you got our in most improved. Yeah, what we call the comeback player of the year, comeback card of the year award. Yeah, comeback card of the year. Underworld Breach. Ding. Can we talk about some actual decks? The the collection of cards. This year saw the introduction of some decks into formats that we like. And even in some cases, decks that probably could have existed in, in a certain form before, but just like finally made their debut this year, perhaps because one new card brought the room together. So here's my nominees for best new decks from 2022. Domain Zoo. Thanks to Leyline Binding, Sign of Draco, Ragavan, I suppose. But Wild Nicotal Zoo decks were always just like tier five. But finally, like we're actually seeing it like appearance of modern challenges. It's in every deck dump. It steals games like the Shobi Brawler or whatever that card is called has five power and trample. Man, you're talking way too much about this deck that is not gonna not gonna win this category. I tell you what, not if I'm on this podcast. <laughs> all right, here, here's another nominee for you then. How about Glimpse Combo? Mm-hmm. Is that all this year? I okay. You know, Glimpse Combo. I think was it, it was possible last year, but. I don't think people were really working on it, at least not as notably as as this year when it just kind of like I I'm pretty sure it was it was Duncan who who put together the first glimpse combo brew and just sort of like proved to a lot of like combo players or people who wanted to cascade on their own terms that there's other ways to shardless agent into insane conditions that also lets you play Omnath and Colony Garden. All right, my final nominee for this section Mono Black Coffers which we had all the pieces except Invoke Despair. And then it was Invoke Despair coming out in Neon Dynasty that kind of like gave this mono black coffers deck, you know, coffers being printed in MH2, and actually like reasonable payoff to produce a lot of mana with your swamps and hopefully like annoy your opponents long enough to, to find a win condition. All right. My nominees. One modern, two pioneer list. The first one is Rakdos Scam. A list that has gone from curiosity to tier one staple that people hate playing against in modern. Is it safe to call this a 2022 deck? I, I think 100% so. 100% right? think it is. Okay. Uh, Obs on Greasefang in Pioneer, uh, featuring 
Grease Fang Okiba Boss out of uh, Kamigawa, Neon, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, a deck that I do not like and do not like playing against, but uh, must appreciate its, its sticking power and popularity. And then finally, Gruel Vehicles in Pioneer, which is a pretty rad deck that I think is, is up my alley, but also kind of just a, a great combination of, of various cards to be a, a, you know, not tier one, but a real powerhouse in the, in the meta. And I think, you know, it did, it did win big events. So it's, it's got, it's got some power there. Totally agree. I have one deck that I would add to this list of nominees for all of us. We've not talked about, and that is mono blue spirits. Is that this year? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Are you sure? Certainly. I mean, as far as it getting any kind of competitive relevance, Mm -hmm. the mono blue version is definitely this year. I feel like I feel like we all know what the actual answer is for best new deck of 2022. Oh, we well, do we we do not have indomitable creativity on this list. It's not new because it's not it's that not right. It's 2021. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. why. Yeah. Right. We we knew this. That's why I also don't have under the underworld breach deck on this list as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna push hard for scam. Mm. Me too. I think scam is fine. What would you want, Stan? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. I mean, it's the best new deck. It's the best performing new deck. I think. Yeah, it's fine. I, I actually kind of love Grease Fang as a new deck. <laughs> Just because, Ugh. like, it, it literally it made an old card that saw zero play really good just thanks to the printing of this one card, Grease Fang, that, like, people are still, you know, they agree that Grease Fang is a really good proactive strategy for Pioneer. They just haven't figured out the perfect way to build it. And we see all these iterations that kind of are okay, but... Scam is a better deck, but Grease Fang, I think, deserves like a very honorable mention. For sure. I'm there with you. Yeah, Reacto Scam, our best new deck of 2022. L- let's take a quick break. Let's, let's refill our water cups, uh, head into the ad break, and then we will be back with the rest of our best of 2022s. So stay with us. Guys, so last week we all got those awesome boxes from our friend Will over at Bear's Turn Man, and I got to try out a new soap that is an instant classic for me. I just loved it right out the box. Which one? Figaros. What? Figaros? Figaros. Fig. A. Rose. Well, I guess it was just for me then. Yeah, you're a special stand. I, I sure am. It was originally released as part of their Soft Heart series, Once Upon a Time, but... Will describes Figaro's as a refreshing, slightly fruity blend of green fig, rose, lemon, and driftwood. When I first smelled it, just the dry bar, I actually thought it was kind of seasonally appropriate. Like it, the fig and the driftwood had almost a Christmassy element to it, but it just was not overbearing at all. It was just the perfect little hint of fruitiness that um, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by, and I think a lot of people would be pleased with if they try it. Did you put your fig out on the piece of driftwood for Santa yet? Of course, except it's Hanukkah Harry. We do it for all eight nights of Hanukkah Harry, but yes. Oh, yeah. So the, the elf on the shelf, you know, the, the fig on the driftwood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was a good song from Travis. Um, so is this called, give me the name of this product. Is it called Figaro? Like as in the murder, like the, what is it? The marriage of Figaro, like the opera? Or is it Figaros, like a joke about the Icelandic like shoegaze band. It's all one word. Fig a rose. Figaro's. Oh, okay. Figaro's. Yep. Perfect. 
I personally have been using a lot of the Tyga products. Like when you got the bar soap, I got the beard oil and man, I love it. It's like this, like sort of calling it mentholated makes it sound like it's going to be too intense, but it's like this pine smell that also has like this super freshness to it. And I really like that. It's kind of like a nice contrast to the Seville beard oil that I've had for a long time. So rather than smell like, you know, kind of like the classic barbershop sort of, you know, aroma of Seville, get something more fresh and awesome. And I, I really do like the, the Tyga stuff a lot. Tyga style. If you want to get products like Figaro's, like Tyga, like Atomic Holiday, if you want to get these new scents and old scents from Barrister and Man, you can use the coupon code THEDIVEDOWN15 for 15% off your first order. And let's Will know that you came because you listened to us and we appreciate it. We have best new deck. We close out on a banger. We're opening up segment two on a banger. What's the best deck of 2022? Stan, you go first this time. What's your list of nominees for best deck? Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think there's one objective deck here. And that changed over the course of the year because of bannings. But if we're looking at today's format, I have five contenders. Is it Merktide has to be in the conversation for me. It's just been a steady hand forever. It ebbs and flows, but it just continues to win tournaments. I think Hammer is the same thing. A steady hand, ebbs and flows, survived a really big banning from Luris, but continues to put up a fight and put up really impressive results and high uh, win rates in tournaments. For me, I'm a little biased, but I think the data backs it. Four-color Rhinos is awesome. I think it's just When you say four-color, you mean five-color, right? Yeah, but you're not casting any black spells, really. You you just happen to have black mana. But how many, regardless of how many colors you put in there, like if you pay attention to modern results on Twitter, like I just can't help but ignore the fact that it keeps winning tournaments in Europe. It's the best deck in Europe. Just crushing the European scene. You must be very excited about that. I'm very excited about that. A lot of mirror matches. You're going to be metagamed against... Yeah, and like we see it do well online. We see it take down or top eight tournaments stateside, of course. And I just think it's like the coolest thing to be doing in, in a, with a fair strategy. I have two more recommendations. Scam, as you know, this new deck, we all knew that Grief and Fury and Dothy Voidwalker and Blood Moon and Ragavan were powerful cards. So let's just put them all in the same pile and add some feigned death effects because we have enough of them now. And finally, creativity. Now, creativity isn't a bit of a lull currently, but I don't think that's a permanent lull. I think it saw a big high in the Yorian era. It continued to perform well immediately after the Yorian ban. Some people were saying it's actually the best deck post-Yorian. Merktide was creeping up behind it, though, to to say, I'm not so so sure. Um, And it definitely made top eight one of the weekend challenges. You know, I, I think creativity is here to stay, and we can continue to see it evolve over time. Like... Whether it's things like, what is it, Brotherhood, Brotherhood's End? Is that is, is that the card? That's like this new discard outlet that's sort of making creativity players try out Jund and Mardu. No, it's called Bitter Reunion. Bitter Reunion. Sorry, all the all the flavor from Brothers War is hard to parse. But yes, Bitter Reunions like introducing potential new versions of this deck, making it a more of a persist strategy. And I think as other like 
good discard outlets or good interactive spells that don't compete with creatures and creativity targets emerge, I can see this deck and this card in particular continue to be really strong. So there's my five noms. Nom, nom, nom. So Shane, any additional noms to that? Or uh, it looks like he covered you. No, stands over overlapped with mine. So what do you have additional ones, Dave? I have three additional ones. I'm going to bring back Pioneer. I'm going to say Mono Green Devotion. Mm-hmm. One of the best best decks of the year. Ugh, yeah. Rakdos mid, locked in the uh, continual death dance with <laughs> Mono Green Devotion of dominating, you know, ending up as much as 30% of the meta between the two of them at different points in time in tournaments this year. And the last one that I would put on there, just because it's burning on the funeral pyre right now, I think that the best deck of the year for modern is actually four color Yorian Control. So good, it got a card finally banned. That is fair. So do you want to hear my hot take? Yeah, I want your first vote. I think the best deck overall of the year is Hammer. Whoa. It's, it's the okay. most consistent, most high winning percentage deck. It's always like 54 to like 58%. I, th- I think it's the, the best deck that not everyone is playing because they might not want to. Uh, it's just not their style. But I think, it is, I think it's the best deck. Wow. Okay. Hmm. But my, my, yeah, I think that's what it is. Maybe objectively, but not emotionally. Well, emotionally, we have a question coming up for emotionally. Emotionally, best deck is the next question. What do you think objectively the best deck is? I actually would rather say it's Murktide. I think it's the most popular deck. That also does well. I think part of the, the problem is Murktide is harder to play than Hammer. And I think... Ooh, wow, that is a take. That's uh, a hot take for 2022. It's so true, though. Play both. You'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about. I've played both this year, and I'm not a good player, but I think Murktide's easier to play than Hammer. No effing way. No way. I think to win with Hammer, you have to do different things. I, I think with Murktide, like, you have to know how to get the most value out of all of your cards that do just one thing, right? Like, you're playing a lot of... You're jumping people out with tons of one-on-one removal, and then you have to know when to, like, either turn the corner, present threats hold up counter spells you know it's when you can actually like safely play an expressive iteration i think all the cards are just like all, all the cards are useful in such different scenarios that playing murktide effectively like requires a lot of practice and format knowledge whereas hammer you're kind of just like finding the path to execute a combo where you just go mm. here i've laid down all of my pieces i'm just going to win on the spot it's it's breach like to some extent for me but i think hammer is really and this might be influenced by the fact that I've spent much of the weekend reading Will Kruger's Guide to the Ooh. Deck. Uh, check it out on Twitter. Purchase it. There's really three different game plans in Hammer, and you have to figure out which yes. game plan you're on, which game plan you want to be on, and how to get from one to the other, how to successfully execute it. Because there's Hammer Combo, and then there's Saga, and then there's also, am I going Stoneforge into Culture Complete for my deck? And also, what happens when I have to switch from one plan to the other? Yeah, losing Luris made the deck become, I think, harder to play, but perhaps as equally rewarding as a good game of Murktide. Although, rather than dither on these two decks, I think maybe we should cut to the chase, and I think that Dave's nomination of Four Color Yorian is probably the most accurate one. It was the one that was most influential on the meta. It was the one that was you know so powerful and popular that you know Yorian finally had to go. It really was a warping element that I think allowed decks like Five Color Creativity to even be on this list in the first place. And I think it's probably all of the things we were talking about before, format knowledge, game plan development, all of those things 
went into playing this deck well as well. I accept your vote. Thank you for joining <laughs> Team Rational. I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to be unanimous on this one. I I, I I even think like Yurion like got worse when Yurion got banned. You know what I mean? So and it didn't get banned because it was too good. That was never one of the stated reasons. It got banned for paper play. Oh, you know that's not entirely accurate either. Listen, I believe everything Wizards of the Coast tells me blindly. Okay. All right. So we have we have co winners in in let's say the the ongoing power of Murktide and the former power of four-color Yorian control, so we can move on from this category. Love How's it. that sound? Sounds good. Honorable mention. But what's our, what's, what's, what's our favorite? What's our favorite deck? It, I mean, it's obvious, right? We're, yeah, we're the mean, Rhino boys. for two of us. Yeah, yeah, we love we love them rhinos. Well, <laughs> you guys are the Rhino boys. Yeah, that's fine. You're you're a Rhino friend. I am a Rhino ally. <laughs> what's your favorite deck of the year, Dave? Honestly, my favorite deck to play of the year was probably Is It Phoenix and Pioneer was the thing I had the most fun doing this year, personally. Fun is very important, Dave. Yeah. It is a game. I really enjoyed Mono Blue Spirits and Pioneer as well, and a little bit in Explorer. Mm. And then if you're looking at Modern, it was definitely Scam was my favorite deck to play in Scam. But I think Quality of Life, like the stuff that I went back to the most to just play to have fun and never get that good at is Is It Phoenix and Pioneer when we were doing that back on the way into DreamHack. I will I will say though, although my results don't demonstrate this, like I actually love playing Murktide. It, I just suck at it. I had like one good Murktide tournament and the rest have been painful, but it's the deck I wish I was better at because it scratches all my itches. But I guess for now we'll just have to play the Horn Dogs. You can always try next year. You can always play it some more. Do you think there were overhyped cards this year? Cards that seemed really of exciting oh. during spoiler seasons Never. that they were ended up being us. nothing burgers. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Who do you think was able to recall more overhyped cards than anyone else of the three of us? Who, who do you think has the longest <laughs> list of nominees? That's only because I did my list first. Who do you think first? loves busting hype? Who loves busting hype more than anyone else on this podcast? <laughs> is it is it Shane? me? Yeah, it's you. Well, I mean, I feel like these would have got on the list by somebody. Here, here, here are okay. my here are my nominees for overhyped card of the year. Woodcaller Automaton, supposed to make Mono Green Devotion nearly unbeatable. Be people clamoring for a ban. I, I think other pieces have already done more for the deck. Uh, founding the third path. I barely remember what people were trying to do with this card. I remember them like spiking a little bit and being something that like people were really trying to like build around. And now I think it's essentially nowhere. Phoenix check is not something that's important to even the pioneer metagame. Uh, it is cute though. Uh, Obnixilus the adversary. Oh we all know God. though what people said <laughs> so this, you know, instantly, uh, is this going to be banned in standard? Is this too OP even in uh, modern? We said this. We had an episode where where some of us were like, this card is really good. Really? Did we? Never heard from again. Did I say that? I said so, I said some of us. Oh, okay. I, you know what? I, I knew that Obnixilis was overhyped as soon as I started seeing comparisons to Oko. And that's when I knew, like, people be cray. It's just like, <laughs> anytime you ev evoke the, the strongest card of literal all time, there's no way that 
anything new is going to to meet that threshold. To cut to cut myself a little slack, well, I did think it was a good card. I did not compare it to Oko. Yeah, that's fair. Luxier Giada's Gifts uh, supposed to reinvigorate creature infinite mana combo. It did not. Uh, Liliana of the Veil getting even getting printed into Pioneer. It's not even played there. Am I right? This one's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's just, it's man. The, the the days of Liliana are truly over. Uh, finally, on my, last on my list at least is Lion Sash, mm-hmm. a card that you know, we're making comparisons to uh, scavenging ooze. Uh, what's the green one? Scavenging ooze and just being like an overall utility piece. And maybe it's just you know the thunder got stolen by the unlicensed hearse. But yeah, it's not a thing. Yeah, I think with Lion Sash, it just turned out to be fetching a proactive card with your Stoneforge Mystic is going to be better than like trying to interact with opponents' graveyards. That's my hunch, turns out. Regarding Liliana the Veil, first of all, killer, killer shout. Like, so overhyped. Not great in Pioneer, unfortunately. Though we all, I think, would have loved it to be at least playable. This is, for me, like Exhibit A, for my controversial recommendation from a couple weeks ago when I was like, let's just put Remand and Cryptic Command in Pioneer. Like, how bad can they be? Or how good can they be? Maybe they won't be yeah, see what maybe they won't even be that good. True. All right. I got I have a couple additions to Shane's list. I, I I think there are several oversights. Reality chip. Remember how scared people were of reality mm-hmm. chip drawing all the cards and kind of? It, it it almost immediately turned Hammer into a blue deck. And there was that one NRG where I actually got to talk to Will Kruger, and he said, this is after he won the mocks. He was like, yeah, I'm playing Hammer. <laughs> like, I don't even know why this is in my deck. I don't even know why this is in my deck. And people are still playing <laughs> Blue Hammer, and they're not playing Reality Chip. They're just like playing Spell Pierce and sideboard cards. I was going to say, it turns out the real secret sauce for Blue Hammer was just Spell yeah. Pierce. That's really all. How about Hidetsugu Consumes All? I mean, that was during the Luris meta game, but... That was a huge, like, $15 hype card for sure. Yes. I will say, when I was playing Scam in Dreamhack, I had a Hidetsugu Consumes All on my sideboard. Oh, yeah. In Scam. And uh, it was great against the Asmo Food deck that I got paired up against, where it just cleared (laughs) their entire board, Saga saga tokens, food tokens, everything all at once. Uh, That was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, look, the card is fine. I think people just thought it was bonkers bananas and it's just kind of like very normal and average which is i think true of this next card on my list temporary lockdown which is like this new white removal spell that people were pretty nervous about because everyone hates sweepers i was like whatever this was this on my list this was on my list of cards that i thought were going to be game changing yeah um and here here's my last big hot take i feel like brothers war in general while it's still fresh like, not as impactful as maybe we expected, like, this artifact set full of big robots to be. Time may hmm. prove me wrong, but, like, I'm not necessarily seeing, like, Brothers War decks emerge. I'm just seeing, like, maybe a handful of cards here and there, like, continue to get tested, but not really take over anything. I fully agree. I mean, I think Teferi from the set could be on that list as a, you know, as one of the cards that we thought was pretty good that that has not been showing up anywhere. You know, Stan, you have Arcane Proxy written down here. That doesn't seem to really be a thing, although I still see some people running it in Rhinos, but it does keep coming back to like, why? Why are we doing this? 
Um, I don't know. It's too bad. I've enjoyed opening that set, uh, but the best cards I've gotten out of it are two copies of Mox, uh, Mox Amber. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't you already have four? I now have five. Oh, okay. I had three. <laughs> you don't need four to play anyway. Yeah, go get, get those over to me. I need some uh, ma, some Mox Ambers one of these days. So what's our pick here? We're we're hilariously running out of time quickly. So I do. I think we need to pick up our pace. We don't need to pick up our pace, but we do need to agree on this card. And the card is Obnixilus, the adversary. Okay, that's where me. I was. That's where 100%. I was going. That's where I was going to. It's the only one on this list that was really called for people. You know, there was like ten days of Obnix of adversary panic <laughs> on uh, on Twitter, and uh, you know, like I said, I fell for it a little bit. I played it some in Modern and in Pioneer, I think, but definitely in Modern, I was like, this could be good, and then it just was not even really close. I'll defer to you guys on this one and abstain from voting altogether. Okay, so Stan picks all the Brothers War, so and we pick Obnixilis. <laughs> right. Obnixilis it is. Obnixilis we pixelis. Gosh. What about instead of overhyped cards, let's talk about underhyped cards. What did we miss on the most in 2022? And I feel like it's a short list. Very But short. it's an embarrassing one. Yes. Fable of yeah. the Mirror Breaker. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Yeah. yeah. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Ledger Shredder, and I'm going to go on record for myself with Unlicensed Hearse. Stan was into it. I think uh, I definitely was not, and I was very wrong. Uh, so, what are we gonna pick here? Is it is it? I mean, Ledger Shredder or Fable? I mean, based on the the rules of this little cinematic universe we've created this episode, it has to be Fable since it's also our card of the year. You're right, right. And I don't remember us talking about it at all. No, I I think we, or at least for me, I, I remember my thinking was. The Kiki side isn't as good as Kiki, and it takes a while to get there, so it's not worth it. And it was a complete oversight yes. that the card does other stuff, and <laughs> yeah, the making other copies chapters. can be good, even if they're not going to go infinite all of a sudden. As I said a couple of, not episode 200, I skimmed over the text of that card and just said, I sent it back. <laughs> I said, if, if it doesn't have a creature attached to it, attached to it I send it back. You know, it's just, I didn't even comprehend what the card did. I don't think I read it fully until people were suddenly like, yeah, this card is great. Yeah. And and look, you know what? I'm happy that it is great. I want cards to be good and playable. There you have it. That's true. And make an impact in eternal formats. Please. Now, were there decks that you guys hated playing against this year? <laughs> Maybe you still do. Like, I play a lot of leagues, and I can yeah. tell you, anytime someone casts a Risen Reef against me, and I don't have a removal spell yeah. in my hand immediately. I'm just like hovering over the concede match button. So for me, it's a deck I hated playing against, but also I hated what it became. And that's Mono Green Devotion. Mono Green, it used to be called Mono Green Planeswalkers in, uh, in Pioneer. And that was like, that was my favorite deck. Like I just, I loved doing the thing and creating a lot of mana and doing like Nissa Who Shakes the World stuff and sort of having like the interactive piece of like the Hydra. Um, and now it turned into a you know, you know, over the top board filling gigantic collected company deck with a combination planeswalker elements that can win the game with a somewhat convoluted, you know, convo getting stuff out of like exile zones. And I just, that's not the mono green. That's not the mono green devotion. I knew, you know, three years ago, <laughs> Um, and, and I, I just don't, I don't like what, what that deck became. I also don't like how much it sort of was a presence in the format. 
and had so much discussion and dithering about it. And it really just became like a lightning rod for what people saw as wrong about the format when there's so much that is right, I think, in terms of like what the what the format's trying to be. And so that's kind of my that's my main pick for deck I hated playing against. But I mean Obzon Greasefang and, and Merfolk are also up there just for like the decks I, I don't like existing. Sorry, Merfolk fans. That's just that's that's really kind of more tongue in cheek than Merfolk thing, but I just want to put it on the list. <laughs> How about you, Dave? I really only have one, two entries into this list, I guess. Everybody hates Monogreen Devotion. All the people who don't play it hate it. Even the We're people just not who those do. kind of gamers, you know? Even the people who do play, a lot of them hate it, too. So that's fine. That's like the compulsory add to the list. For me, I don't think this one will be a surprise to anybody. My most hated deck of 2022 was Creativity. Oh. Because it's a deck that I experimented with when it started to get a little bit of hype was com- completely perplexed by it, couldn't do anything with it. Then it went on to become one of the best decks in modern for a small stretch there. I picked it back up, still couldn't make it do anything. So I hate that deck. <laughs> Stanislav? Yeah, the uh, Mono Green Devotion obviously sucks to play against. Um, I, I really do generally hate playing against Risen Reef decks just because I think the effect Risen Reef has on pitch elementals is absurd. I think cards should work as they are written. Um, but I'll actually point out that like scam really sucks to play against too. Sometimes. <laughs> like sometimes they Do you hate that it exists though? No, I don't hate that it exists. I actually think it's fine that it exists. But it's like one of those decks that like if they turn one double grief you, you don't really shrug that off. Like it does you you never go like Oh, yeah. whatever. This is fine. Like, it hurts and it feels unfair and it feels like you need to draw all the right spells to, like, regain parity. And and then once you do regain parity, maybe you can actually, like, turn the game around. But that the turn one grief play in particular just is so painful to, to have to endure. So what's our pick here? Is it just kind of the, the standard mono green devotion? We don't like what it became. We don't like what it is. I mean, I never liked it. I didn't like it when it had Nissa Who Shakes the World, and I hate that card, too. Oh, man, too. that card was great. But yeah, it's just an evolution of an already busted deck. All I'll say about this deck is that it should not have com- a combo in it. Just, like, get rid of the combo. Yes. Let it be a good deck that doesn't, like, beat all the interaction just because it happened to draw a Karn and a Kiora and the Nykthos at the same time. Right. All right. Yeah. All right, hated cards. Let's do this fast. These are personal. <laughs> We're going to do personal picks from here out. Hated right. cards. I I had to st- I struggled on this. My my most hated card of the year, blacksmith skill. How? Why? This is the craziest answer. It's no, so, no, Shane, so Shane, so good. This is a really good pick. I mean it. I think this is a really it's great so pick. It's so good. It always gets you Any by surprise. Permanent. It it can it can protect like it can protect against what the opponent's trying to do to their cards. Yes. It's like it's just so good and so efficient, and it just gives hammer such a level of protection that they they didn't have before. And I'm just, yeah, I, it's my most hated card. That's it. I mean, it's not, it's, is it my really most hated card? Probably not. Is it the card that immediately sprang to mind? Yes. That's so funny to me for some reason. Stan, what's on your list? I have a three-way tie between Flusterstorm, Engineered Explosives, and Breach. Storm and Explosives because they exist to ruin my day. But Breach because you, you'll think you did your thing and you think you bought yourself some time and then they have in, they have like just three mana up maybe and they cast Breach and suddenly they go off and draw seven cards or win on the spot. 
And it's like breach yeah, breach sacrificing fair. at the end of the turn actually is flavor text. <laughs> uh, mine's Yorian. Mm. Yeah. No surprise there. That was the card. Actually, you know what my second least favorite card is? Abundant growth. <laughs> oh man. Oh, wow. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Tell me why. Because everybody was convinced that abundant growth was still going to see play after Yorian was gone. All the people who were like, Yorian is still going to, these decks can't work without 80, 80 card mana bases. Da, 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 da. We still need abundant growth. That card's just gone now. It's fine. It's gone. All right. I think we won't have a most unanimous, uh, although I do hate engineering no. explosives. This is one that I thought up for this year, um, and it is product of the year. And there's a boatload of products. Mm. But I think the ones that I think were really good in different ways, and one is Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, which I think was both like a really flavorful sort of reinvention and reimagination of the like Kamigawa in the future. It was a really loved limited set, and it gave us a bundle of useful cards to you know pioneer and modern. Uh, Double Masters 2022. A number of solid reprints always helps keep prices down. I always appreciate that. Some really cool art for like the extended art season pyromancer. And just to counteract Stan's earlier point of uh, Brothers War, I think it's an interesting set. I think it has a solid impact on our formats, a number of useful cards. Um, but in comparison to Kamigawa, I think it's already off my list, even after I type that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mine's a little different. This year, I bought my first secret layer that I've ever bought, and oh, that yeah? was the Magic 30th Anniversary Advent Calendar. I kind of wish I had bought this. It was great. I enjoyed every day opening one pack with one card in it, <laughs> seeing what they picked out. I didn't read what cards were in the set before I opened it up, so I only knew a couple of the really headliner ones. Like I knew that uh, Necropotence was in there. I knew that Chrome Mox was in there. It was just fun to see what they did with it, with the story. And um, it's great. There's a couple of cards in there that I will play out of it. Like Arclight Phoenix is in it and Emery is in it. Like I played those, I, I will play those someday. Uh, the other ones, whatever, I'm just going to have them around. It was cool. Nice. Agree with Shane that Dion Dynasty was the best standard set of the year, for sure. And, in, you know, in the spirit of Dave throwing a curveball, I really like the Warhammer 40k <laughs> commander set, especially Gears and Star and Kelamore. Aren't the, were those really expensive? I mean, they Did were. You get those? They were pretty average priced for a commander product, but there was a lot of markup because they mm. <clears throat> were a pretty limited supply and there was a lot of hype. But, you know, you can buy singles. And the singles were sweet with new art on old cards, as well as like really good new cards if you're interested in Commander. And I was very fortunate that I got to spoil one of the legends from the Teamer deck. And it's just like this is it guy named Gearson, Gearson Karn, Gearson Starn. Yeah, it's Gearson Starn Kelamorph. Right. And he's got three auto stubs. And I, uh, I actually built the deck and I've got the chance to play it a few times and it's, and it's dope. And it just feels like my Commander deck. That I love playing. So that's my personal pick. Finally, Curveball, the Dive Down Rhino Boys t-shirt for best MTG apparel of the year with the <laughs> bullet. <laughs> Thank you to Casey slash Tower Slayer for that. Uh, it's certainly the most popular product on our store, uh, we've, which means that we've sold like four copies. Nice. If you want some apparel from us and help help uh, donate us, uh, work with us directly, support oh, yeah. us directly, go to go to the store. We on haven't, the been, dive we haven't talked about the store that much. 
No, it's okay. We didn't want. We're not here just to sell products. But if you if you want to go get this shirt, if you want to go get some hats and stuff, the hats are nice. The shirts exceptionally nice the divedown.com slash store we're not just here to sell products we're also here for the marketplace of ideas exactly <laughs> we're selling ideas okay so we recorded about 50 episodes this year not including bonuses do any episodes stand out for you guys as one of your favorites to make or or just listen back to what's going on the greatest hits from 2022 i mean real funny a real short one that I thought was funny is the infamous uh, episode 178, where I told a certain deck and certain states to get effed, <laughs> and people seemed to go wild for that. It was one of the first times we had a host beeped in a, an episode, and you know, it was a bit I had for a couple episodes, and we let it go now. But that was uh, that was something that I thought was funny when I was looking back at the year. <laughs> Just you know, hearing dad swear is so odd. It's like watching a elephant wear pants as long as they don't do it all the time it can get it can get cringe pretty fast yeah 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 stanislav what do you th- what are you thinking about when you think about fun episodes that you liked so the living in deck dive we did with ccr i think is just one of the best deck dive oh, man. episodes we've ever done period tour de force all thanks to all thanks to chris <laughs> i'm so glad it's an episode that i wasn't on yeah me too that you guys loved this year is one that i wasn't here for would not have been as good if dave was here it combined the powers of us guiding conversation and Chris telling us how to be good at living end. It was perfect. Yeah. yeah and, you know, Chris is a, a, a podcaster that I've looked up to for a really long time. So the chance to actually like work with him on something just met all expectations. So thank you, CCR. And, and I, I do stand by that episode for sure. And, and likewise, 200 cards, I think, is an all timer. That's a fun one. It was a fun one. It was so fun. Weirdly evergreen. <laughs> you think so? You think forever? Forever. It'll outlive us all. I, I like some of our... I, I like the People's Meta episodes. People always seem to like those as well. They're fun to do. They're fun to talk about just kind of what's going on in the, the wider world of like modern and pioneer. And so I really enjoy doing those, especially like the post-ban ones, like when we had uh, Luris get banned and you know, the, the format changed pretty significantly being able to analyze that together is always a blast and and dave does so much work for them i always appreciate that that was an episode that stan wasn't on the luris one so take that uh my favorite other episode full episode other than where i just got to say a funny swear word was the saffron olive interview was one of the ones that was the most i don't know Seth was just a cool guy. He was great to talk to. Really nice guy. Interesting to hear what he had to say about making content. An episode I was not on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now you see how Dive Down is going to work in Cycle 2.0 with Stan <laughs> overseas. It's going to be us, just two people with a guest over and over again. Just making iconic episodes for eternity. Mm-hmm. It'll be perfect. Nonstop iconic episodes with guests like Darth Jason, Zach Ryle, Jesse Robkin, Aspiring Spike, Chris Kesher-Rappel, Todd Anderson, Saffron Olive, Dom Harvey, Michael Rapp, Eli Cassis, Carolyn Cavanaugh, and Spider Space. Those are the guests we had on this year. That's, that's like one a month. That's one a month. I went back. I really hope I got everybody. All right. Let's name names. So who, Zach, who Zach Allen. Zach Allen. Don't forget Zach Allen. Oh, Zach Allen. Yep. Yeah, Zach Allen was on too. Yep. Let's name names. Can we name names? Who was the worst guest? Oh, come on. Probably me. You. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, this is, the, I mean, big, big thanks to all the people who agree to come on this podcast, you know, as, as often as they do. I don't know how, how we rope them into it because they're always, they're always better players. They're always more accomplished, uh, frequently better on mic. 
And so thanks to all of you all guests from 2022, and we hope we can have many of you back on next year. We did thank the guests, but we should, of course, thank our listeners as well. That kept us going. The patrons who support the show, you keep the lights on. The people who leave friendly comments on on our YouTube, on our Reddit posts, in our Twitter threads, in the episode reviews, you guys are are the wind beneath our wings. Obviously, the dive down nation in our Discord, keeping us company all day while we should be working on expense reports. Instead, we're chatting about four years of this nonsense. God of war. Four years. This is four years. Yeah, four years lost to Discord, but would we have been doing anything more productive? I doubt it. So thank you. Thank you to all the fans, friends, listeners, and adversaries who hate listen to the show. Your download is still good to us, and we're excited to keep making content for you next year, even though I will be now in something called GMT. Zero. GMT is the zero time zone. Center of the world. Maybe even center of the universe. In any case, I think that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast, just reach out in general. You can find us on Twitter at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. A lot of ways to support the show these days. You can do so over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can support us while playing Magic Online with the Manitrader subscription using promo code thedivedown10. That's the number 10. All one word for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more over at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN15. That's the number 15. All one word gets you 15% off your first order from Barrister and Man. You can save some money on paper cards as well over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order from NRG. And check out our swag over at thedivedown.com. Go there directly divedown.com slash store or find the store in the nav bar at the top of the divedown.com as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and have a happy holiday